0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio our friend Harvey Wasserman. He is, of course, a lifelong activist who speaks and writes and organizes on energy and the environment and history and the drug war and election protection and grassroots politics. He has been teaching since 2004, History and Cultural and Ethnic Diversity at two colleges in Central Ohio. He works for the permanent shutdown of the nuclear power industry and the birth of Solartopia. And you should get his book on Solartopia if you have not already. And check out Solartopia. Org. Uh, he writes for EcoWatch and FreePress.org and NukeFree.org, which he edits. He helped to found the anti-war liberation news service in 1972. His History of the United States, which you should also read, uh, introduced by Howard Zinn, helped to pave the way for a new generation of people's histories. In 1973, Harvey Wasserman coined the phrase, no nukes, and helped found the global grassroots movement against atomic energy. In 1990, he became a senior advisor to Greenpeace. Harvey's America at the Brink of Rebirth, the Organic Spiral of U.S. History, uh, will be published soon at solartopia.org. Harvey Wasserman, uh, welcome to Talk Nation Radio.
1: Hey, it's great to be with you, David.
0: It's great to have you on here, and I want to talk about several uh, topics, if you've got 28 minutes, uh, and we can fit them in, and one is that you are going to be uh, speaking, for which we are very grateful, at a conference coming up in September that we've organized at World Beyond War, and people can check it out at worldbeyondwar.org and sign up to come to the conference in Washington, D.C., or to others around the world, uh, or to plan one of of their own in their area, but you will be in Washington, D.C., and speaking about connections between the environment and war and peace. Can you can you give us a little taste of a preview?
1: Well, first of all, I'm honored to be invited, and um, I'm going to be talking in specifically uh, in terms of... Uh, Two major issues. First, the energy situation. We're in a process, David, of uh, shutting down the global atomic energy industry. I'm very, very happy to be able to say that, actually. Uh, but we've had uh, four. Uh, commercial reactors uh, announcements shut uh, within the recent days. And we expect many more because the entire nuclear fleet of commercial reactors, not only in the sta- United States, but all over the world, has become profoundly uneconomic. It always was. But the industry was able to hide its losses uh, within the uh, governmental um, bailouts, and they've found that now politically virtually impossible to do without massive public uproar. And as a result, they're having to face the actual market, um, which, unfortunately, uh, because of fracked gas, but uh, safely because of renewable energy, the two of them, um, have really priced out atomic power. And so all over the country, and really all over the world, it's happening in Europe as well um uh we don 't know exactly what 's happening in China, but uh we think we suspect uh that 's happening there it 's happening there as well um so all of the movies, so around four hundred commercial reactors. Uh, that have been built are being phased out, and we don't see really much prospect for new reactors being built because there's tremendous public resistance and tremendous market resistance. So, this is the first thing I'm going to say. And in conjunction with that, as you mentioned, Solartopia, we are seeing the simultaneous rise, and of course, it's a cause of this, of a huge revolution. As Bernie would say, a huge revolution in renewable energy. The cost of uh, solar, of wind, of uh, other uh, 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 green technologies, solar topian technologies, has just plummeted as their efficiencies have risen to the point where we really can envision a rapid transition to uh, the whole world being put onto a um, energy generation system that is in concert and in harmony with the planet as opposed to a, uh, at war with it uh, rooftop solar in particular i believe photovoltaic cells will be the biggest industry in the history of the world uh, after the internet and uh, of course it's related to the internet and uh, with this transition to an energy economy based on uh, renewables based on the the um, bounties of the Earth, as opposed to being at war with the Earth, uh, will have an enormous impact. We just have to hope we get there um, before the next Fukushima. I mean, the arc of nuclear disasters has been terrifying. If you trace it from Three Mile Island to Chernobyl to Fukushima, we could only shudder at what might come next. So while we talk uh, joyously about this transition to topia and to a green-powered Earth, we are in terror of what is happening uh, to the commercial reactors, which are really going down very rapidly in terms of their safety, um, in terms of the quality of maintenance and operation that's involved. They're running out of spare parts. They're running out of people who can actually operate them as the nuclear operating fleet of humans gets older and is not replaced by younger people. So um, we're in a race against time here. We do have the technology for the first time in history to put our entire energy energy generating system onto a mm, shall we say green basis um we just have to work redouble our efforts to shut down the remaining reactors in this deteriorating fleet Um, Some people, uh, Harvey,
0: some people would suggest that we're in a race against time for two reasons, not just because of of declining safety and the risk of meltdowns and those sorts of disasters, but because of the risk of climate disaster uh, on the planet as a whole, which some people say it's already too late, uh, but certainly many people agree that at some point it will be too late. But uh, nonetheless, it's an incredible example, uh, especially if it's not too late, of a abolishing something disastrous and replacing it with a beneficial alternative Uh, and of course that's what this conference is going to be about abolishing war and replacing it with with positive alternatives but but other than the example of you know the model are are there connections between between nuclear energy uh, and abolishing war
1: oh absolutely nuclear energy is a war technology it, it grew out of the military, the old Atomic Energy Commission. Um, uh, the nuclear power was originally just window dressing for the bomb industry. And it continues to be in many ways, um, although I think in this case the, uh, the genie that came out of the bottle uh, took, took over. And you have to remember that uh, uh, nuclear power plants, commercial reactors, of which I say they're about 400, are really just standing nuclear bombs. And they allow the the terrorists, um, such as they are, to uh, they're they're really pre-deployed nuclear weapons. Where it used to require a huge infrastructure to develop atomic bombs and uh, deploy them. Now we have these commercial reactors, which, God forbid, uh, could be turned into to nuclear bombs themselves. So uh, the reversal. Also, by the way, David, uh, you know. Much of the war that we fight in, in the current world is about energy. And if we can uh, transform the energy system into a decentralized, uh, locally-owned phenomena, which photovoltaics, wind power, LED lighting, and other things like, you know, related solotropian technologies allows, then one of the major incentives for war will be uh, eliminated uh... You know, the, the, the wars for oil and gas become obsolete if we are generating our power with solar panels. Nobody's going to go to war over a solar panel. Well, maybe they will, well, or a windmill, but, you know, at this point in time, it, it doesn't look likely. Let's put it that
0: way. Well, I, I'm inclined to very much agree, uh, Harvey Wasserman, but uh, to the extent that the United States, even since before there was a United States, has been seeking. Greater and greater domination of territory, domination of the of the continent, and then of the rest of the world. Uh, it, it's possible, uh, of course, that wars would continue even if we eliminated fossil fuels as a, a justification or an excuse or a motivation for wars. Uh, and and it, and it seems that the wars themselves, uh, at least now. Are among the greatest causes of environmental destruction through the through the radiation and the and the toxins and the poisons and the fossil fuel consumptions of the military, uh, and yet there's virtually no connection between those opposing the military and those opposing environmental destruction. And, and the big environmental groups just will not touch opposing wars and militarism with a ten foot pole. And I'm I'm wondering if you know of any. Any potential for connections between two movements that would be stronger together?
1: Yes, um, you know we have done that. And um, uh, David, recently I was on the the good ship Golden Rule, which, as you know, in 1958 uh, attempted to sail into the nuclear test zone in the Marshall Islands. Uh, the crew was arrested and the boat was imprisoned. But another boat, they inspired the Hiroshima. Phoenix to go into the Marshall Islands and slow down nuclear testing. And that boat had a storied history. It's actually sunken on the bottom of Humboldt Bay for a while, but it's been restored. And, um, and not long ago, actually in early June, I was on the Golden Rule in uh, Portland, Oregon. And we sailed um, against the uh, warships. And so we just sort of, we didn't blockade them at this point, but we were actually uh, hit by a, a police boat. Um, but uh, we, we sailed around the, uh, the sh- warships and displayed our veterans for peace and our peace symbol. And I did a radio show from the deck the in the middle of the pouring rain uh, from the Golden Rule, and one of our principal spokesperson a woman named Mimi Gurman, who uh, is not only working uh, against the warships but also for the shutdown of the Whoops Two reactor, which is the last one in the Northwest. So. I think we see Lasson operating in the Northwest, and, of course, it's at the Hanford nuclear weapons site, which is a tremendous blight, and a poison, you know, boil on the, um, on the, on the planet. So I think the confluence of the two issues, certainly in the Northwest and elsewhere, is pretty clear. Uh, I know that in my 43 years of working against nuclear power, there's always been a dimension of nuclear against working against nuclear weapons, it's always been a presumption that the two issues are interlocked and now of course uh, since we've experienced the Iraq war and the insanity in the Middle East over wars for energy, if we're in a position now to um, uh, undercut all that um, uh, it will be a very interesting transition to see what other things our human species can come up with to fight over fight wars over. Uh-oh, they'll, they'll
0: come up with something i i you know unless we stop the mentality that says wars are okay they'll come up with reasons uh for Yeah, the absolutely. But but there there <laughs> is a There is a growing movement, Harvey, a young and growing movement uh, among especially the non-nuclear weapons nations to ban nuclear weapons because the nuclear weapons nations are are not complying with the non-proliferation treaty that requires them to disarm. Uh, I wonder if any environmental organizations are likely to join in. A movement that's not being led by the US, Russia, China, France, Britain, but, uh, but by, by other countries uh, that's pushing for a ban on, on nuclear weaponry.
1: Well, I've had the incredible good luck and good fortune to be involved with Greenpeace since 1990, and that has always been, you know, a part of our ethos is to oppose both nuclear weapons and nuclear power. And uh, we're continuing that. I was just in a, our annual general meeting with our wonderful executive director, Annie Leonard. And um, uh, this has been a dual uh, agenda. Well, of course, with the name Greenpeace uh, for uh, since our, since I wrote. And uh, I think that people are getting the message pretty clearly. And of course, one of the ways we've been fighting nuclear weapons is to go at the production. Sites. I mean, uh, you know, there's been tremendous opposition to Hanford and Washington and uh, to uh, in the southeast the uh, the whole nuclear weapons complex at uh, Savannah and Aiken and um, uh, here in Ohio, where I'm speaking to you from, at um, Fernald and Portsmouth and uh, the Mound and Ashtabula sites, which are all nuclear weapons sites in Ohio. We We have been well aware of the environmental impacts of those places as well as the insanity of the weapons they produce so there has been a confluence i think over the years maybe not as strong as it should be you look at the great work of bob alvarez in dc who has been a tremendous researcher both on the nuclear weapons and the nuclear power po- uh, complex uh... Um, i i i think the you know it's a small planet and uh, nuclear weapons have been killing people for decades without even exploding and and, uh, and we have to confront that reality. And I think uh, the, the the joining of the two movements is is pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, well, Greenpeace is a perfect name for an organization, and and a perfect uh, you know potential for for combining the two. Uh, what do you make of of reports? Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding in recent months and years, there are a number of dictatorships in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, among them, uh, looking at building up nuclear power, uh, which many see as, you know, a step to put your government, your nation, uh, within reach of nuclear weaponry. That seems like a trend in the wrong direction, and you're describing this wonderful trend away from nuclear power.
1: Well, it's utterly insane, of course. And Recently, Russia signed a deal with Nigeria, to uh, sell at $80 billion with the commercial reactors. I mean, there's a very high skepticism that it'll ever happen. One of the great things, the only great things about nuclear power plants is that they are incredibly expensive and take forever to build. And um, uh, so the idea of the Saudis building a nuclear power plant is terrifying, but I think it's stoppable. I mean, you have to remember also that The French, um, in the late 70s, were about to sell 36 reactors to Iran um, uh, before the uh, Ayatollah threw out the Shah. So, you know, and we're all concerned about both China and India. Uh, building more reactors. We know that there are popular movements in both those countries to, to stop it from happening. So this, uh, David, is part of the mission of our activism and we're going to have to go into these countries somehow to uh, prevent these things from happening.
0: So, so when you talk about the, the imminent uh, or at least near future elimination of nuclear power, you're talking about in the United States alone?
1: And Europe. Um, and uh, you know europe is, is going faster than the us as you know uh, uh germany uh had 19 reactors after fukushima they shut 8 and have a very clear path to shutting the rest of them, and their transition to renewables has been spectacularly successful, um, uh, serving as a, a, a role model for the rest of the world. Um, I think the next country to go that direction will be California. Um, we're on the break We hope of shutting the last two reactors in California, plus whoops, two in Washington, which will give us a, a nuclear-free West Coast, and uh, will pave the way. We hope for. Not only a renewable revolution, but also uh, you know, ridding ourselves of the uh, the nuclear weapons infrastructure. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a born optimist. I like to talk. I don't see uh, the point of pessimism to a certain extent, uh, except maybe to give us a dose of reality. So it's it's a horse race, David. We you know we have to shut these reactors before they blow up, and we have to um, shut down the nuclear weapons industry and the rest of the armaments business before we have still more wars, Um, who knows who's going to win, but our survival certainly depends on it. Yeah,
0: but as the countries that have tried nuclear power get rid of it for economic reasons and safety reasons, uh, it makes these other countries that are picking up nuclear power look that much more transparently as using it as a step toward nuclear weaponry, or or as Japan has referred to it, having a bomb in the basement, having the potential uh, to threaten somebody with developing nuclear weaponry, and that, that scares me. Um
1: but I, I Well it should. Yeah. As well as should, but means we have to just redouble our efforts. But um you know, we I do think you know, as Martin Luther King said, the arc of justice is long, but it bends in the right direction and I think that's the same as true of the uh um uh world of nuclear weaponry well
0: uh, we non-believers have to just try to make it bend in the right direction because we don't know which way <laughs> it's going to bend and don't have a crystal ball but uh, i i uh I, well, much as I want to go on with this topic I wanted harvey and and we had talked about uh whether you could give us a quick overview on the state of uh verifiable elections uh and open and fair elections in the United states uh, i mean have these have these primaries and caucuses been at all up to? Uh, civilized standards uh, in terms of uh, of open, fair, and verifiable elections.
1: Well, I will tell you without hesitation that the 2016 primary season, especially on the Democratic Party side, has been a mockery of democracy. I mean, we have at least 10 states where the exit polling and the various polling is completely out of the range of margin of error with the actual vote count, including California, where millions of voters' votes were um, not counted, including especially in New York City, where at least 100,000 voters in Brooklyn uh, were turned away. Uh, we have a a system that can, in no way uh, of elections in no, that can, in no way shape or form in this country can be counted uh or, or even evaluated as democratic with a small d and the primary culprit uh, well, there's two culprits, and we've just Bob Petrakis and I have just published our sixth or seventh book but we last count on election protection and it's a twofold path uh to dictatorship basically first the stripping of voter rolls and then the flipping of electronic vote counts. And throughout the United States, especially with the repeal of by the Supreme Court of the Voting Rights Act, um, millions of people are being deprived of their legitimate right to vote, uh stripping electronic uh voter rolls, uh photo ID, uh, a wide range of other harassment techniques, stripping of precincts, uh, failing to deliver electronic voting machines or even paper ballots. Um, it, it's a disaster. It's a nightmare. I first became acquainted with it in 2004 when we witnessed the theft of the 2004 election. Of Greg Bev Harris reported on it from Florida in 2000. Um, and uh, Bob Petrakis and I saw it here in 2004. The only good thing we can say about George W. Bush, by the way, uh, David, is that he was never elected. Uh, by the American people. And, you know, to know that these two oh, presidential elections were stolen uh, really puts a grip on our view of democracy, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, more than 50% of the votes in this country will be counted in the fall of 2016 or cast in the fall of 2016 on uh, electronic machines. These machines are more than 10 years old, they're extremely easy to hack. Uh, we had one group from the University of Michigan that took a voting machine and got it to play the University of Michigan fight song. Somebody else has been playing Pac-Man on these machines. I mean, it's a joke. And at the same time, as I say, most of tens of millions, well, millions anyway, of mostly African-American and young voters, along with Hispanics, have been deprived of their votes in many different ways. What we need, Bob Petrakis and I put out a, an Ohio plan, That's what we call it, anyway. In recognition of what happened here in 2004, uh, where we uh, everyone is automatically registered to vote at the age of 18, you get a form at your school or your Bureau of Motor Vehicles or the supermarket, wherever you mail it in with your signature. Uh, The electronic vote uh, uh, poll books are transparent and have paper backups. We have a four-day national holiday. For voting, so that everybody can come out without missing work. <laughs> that will be a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. We have no photo ID requirement. Uh, people sign, give their signatures. It's a five year felony if you double vote. There's no history in the recent times in the U.S. of any kind of significant double voting. And then finally, um, we work the polls with um, those four days with. Uh, students, college and high school students, and elders in tandem, and pay them $15 an hour to run the polls and then count the votes. And then finally, we have universal hand-counted paper ballots. Uh, it's done in Germany, uh, Canada, uh, Ireland, uh, Romania, and we, we um, the, vote, the votes are dropped into transparent boxes. They don't go anywhere. And then the students and the elders sit there and count the votes. And, uh, that's where, no more electronic voting machines, no more, uh, you know, photo ID requirements, plenty of time for people to vote, and, uh, that's, and it's really a parallel movement in many ways to the renewable energy industry, where we're trying to get rid of, in, in many ways, electronic voting machines are the commercial, the Fukushimas of, of real democracy. And we don't have a real democracy here. You know, it's one thing, it's important that we get money out of politics. But even more important to getting money out of politics is to have a system of casting and counting votes <laughs> that actually um, makes sense. What we have now is nothing even resembling that. And in the primary season has been a disaster in terms of disenfranchisement. disenfranchisement and, um, you know, dubious vote counts, let's put it that way. Well, I
0: I love your set of reforms. We just have a few minutes left. I love your set of reforms, but they sound like they're aimed at general elections. It seems in primaries you've got to Deal with the question of whether to have these things called caucuses or not, whether to have these people called delegates or not, uh, whether to have super delegates piled on top of them that aren't voted for at all, uh, whether to let people who are not a member of the party vote in the party's primary, or in the case of California, let them vote but make them vote on provisional ballots and then not count them until, you know, sometime long after the, the winner's been announced. Uh, I, I mean, what, what is is the fair way to do to do the primaries
1: same way I mean you know you, you should everybody should be equally registered you should be able to go in, vote on a paper ballot if, if, for whoever you want in whatever party you want and uh, you're right about California they completely disenfranchised millions of people in California who wanted to vote in the Democratic primary and couldn't and these provisional ballots are a joke they go straight into the trash nine times. Well, I won't give a statistic, but a very high percentage of them are just pitched. And, uh, you know, we simply don't have what could be called a, uh, an actual democracy in terms of the mechanics of counting and casting our votes. And that has got to change, David. I'm much more concerned about that than I am about Koch brother money funding campaigns. We can beat that. But you can't be a, a system where the votes are counted uh, by uh, partisans uh, who are, will have ample um, ability to, to rig the vote count and, and to keep people from voting in the first place. That is not sustainable and any more than commercial reactors are sustainable. And I see the two movements as being very parallel.
0: And, and uh, I'm, I'm inclined very much to agree with you. Uh, where, what's the name of the book and, and where do people get it?
1: The book is called the Flip, the Strip, and Flip Selection of 2016. It's at freepress.org. The subtitle is Five Jim Crow's and Electronic Election Theft, and it's actually pretty short, David. We run it and we do it based on PowerPoints, uh, uh, so you can read through this book uh, uh, and pretty quickly uh, if you don't drop dead from your blood boiling, which <laughs> I had to, I had to put in a cooling system while I was writing it, but you know. Uh, uh, this is the reality, and we've been on this case, Bob and I, since uh, 24, and Greg and Bev worked four years earlier. So this is something that uh, we all have to deal with as Americans. And we want to uh, abolish electoral college, we want to end money in politics, we want to get rid of gerrymandering, but until we get a decent vote count, nothing's going to happen.
0: How about I, I? think you've hit all of the most important ones, but there are many more reforms I'd love, including shortening the darn election season uh, a little bit, so that there's some period of, of just governance in between elections. What do you What do you What do you make of that proposal? What a concept! <laughs> governance. <laughs> Well, yeah, not not much thought of. Uh, Harvey Wasserman, as always, wonderful work. Uh, keep in touch with us. SolarTopia.org is the place to go for the vision of how we ought to be living and may be living in the in the near future if we survive a number of hurdles. Uh, Harvey, thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio.
1: Well, thank you, David. Thank you for your fantastic work.
0: Much appreciated.